Hi, this is a message from Life Church Leeds. We hope it encourages and helps you. I wonder how your 2021 has started. Has it been good? Has it been different? I saw a funny um, Instagram this week um, that said, um, I've, I've taken up the seven-day trial for 2021, and I'm not interested in continue, continuing my subscription. I'd like to cancel, please. I think that was sent on Wednesday, obviously, with what was going on in the United States of America. The whole world just seems, obviously, in a whole lot of turmoil. And I think the number one uh, kind of response that it causes in people is just a lot of kind of bewilderment and nervousness and concern and a sense of kind of not sure what the future looks like. And I'm so thankful that we have our hope, like Ed says, in Jesus because he shows us what our future looks like. The Bible is full of what a relationship with Jesus ultimately looks like and that doesn't remove you from challenge, it doesn't remove you from difficulty, it doesn't cancel you out from hard times. But I tell you what, it does enable him to strengthen you. And if there is going to be a boat in the storm, I'd prefer to be with Jesus in the boat than with anybody else. And so uh, I encourage you over these next few weeks, that are bumpy that they might be, to cling to the Word of God. You know, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What is the kingdom of God? It is his rule. It is his reign and his righteousness. What is that? It's the character, the attribute, the nature of God. Seek after those things. And the Bible says, and everything else shall be given unto you. Now, what is everything else that shall be given unto you? In that passage, Jesus is actually in the Sermon on the Mount talking about what it is to deal with worry. I'm not very good at saying my R's, so worry. I end up saying worry. But worry and anxiety is the context of that passage in Matthew 6, what Jesus is talking about, because King Caesar Augustus, who was the king at that time, was ruling through causing anxiety to the population. There was rationing of food and drink, and he would hold it and contain it, and he would distribute it as to how he felt appropriate. And so people were in submission to his kingship. And so he kept people in constant anxiety, which is why you wonder why Jesus is saying, why are you saying, why are you worrying about food and clothing and what you're going to wear? Surely there's bigger things to worry about. But in the context of the time, people were genuinely worried about those things. And then Jesus comes along as another king with another kingdom saying, you don't need to worry about that because if you seek out me, everything else shall be added unto you anyway. And I want to encourage you to seek first. That is what this month is all about. And how many of you have been enjoying the devotional this month starting off? And this week has all been about drawing near. And that is what I really want to focus on this morning, just what it is to draw near to God. Because at the moment, social distancing has impacted us all. Even now, we are sat socially distanced. Um, we, um, you know, we, we, we are we are, we're away from people constantly, although I saw something funny yesterday on Instagram, funny or rather concerning, one of the two, of somebody yesterday who posted on their Instagram, not somebody locally to here, but in our country, who was posted pictures of a room full of people, of friends, and he, his comment was, celebrating our second Christmas with these great friends. So I'm like, this seems a strange post. <laughs> I thought we weren't supposed to be having anyone in our house. And so I replied, said, I said, I said, are you not, are you not like following kind of like these government guidelines on, you know, not having people around your house? He says, oh no, on Christmas day, you're allowed three households. <laughs> so 
So I said, one, it's not Christmas Day. And no, it wasn't three households. And in his thinking, he was like, well, we're just going to do a second Christmas. Bewildered, shocked. I just didn't know really how to respond to him. But all of us have got used to what it is to socially distance. And the psychologists are saying it is going to be a huge impact on our population and our people because of the anxiety and the mental health challenges that it brings to be distant from people. And if we're going to be distant from people, guess what? We have to be closer to God. (laughs) Because the further we are from people socially, the closer we have to be to God. God does not do social distancing. Okay, God will be as close as you want him to be. And so I want to speak just in these few moments today, just a simple thought really of what it is to draw near to God and to seek him first. And uh, before I get into it, can I just thank so many of you who have been kind to us this week. Abs unfortunately broke her arm on Tuesday and um, had surgery on it yesterday and is in church with it today and is currently with one of our children, I believe. But um, thank you so many messages and people and people have brought food and, you know, I wouldn't mind breaking my arm every week. Um, No, I wouldn't at all. But people have been so kind and generous and so really do appreciate your prayers. But in Deuteronomy 34, just turn there, Deuteronomy 34 verse 10, we're going to read this. It says, Deuteronomy 34 verse 10, since then no prophet has risen in Israel quite like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Everybody say face to face, face to face who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. Moses, who knew God, it's important what it says, face to face. And then James chapter 4 verse 8, which has really been the leading verse for our devotion this week. James chapter 4 verse 8, it says, Come near to God. And he will come near to you. Okay? Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's not as encouraging the second part, but Bible has to be in context. But come near to God, draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. That first passage that I read in Deuteronomy about Moses, we know what exploits Moses ended up doing as he returns to Egypt and says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And what we find is the most incredible story, you know, a real life of, of incredible signs and wonders that Moses performs, which enables the Israelites to leave the slavery of Egypt and eventually, after a very, very, very long journey, start to establish themselves in the promised land that God had for them. But it doesn't start off with Moses with all that level of boldness and confidence because Moses starts off going, no way am I ever going to go back to Pharaoh after what I have done. I'm never am I going to re-enter that situation and ends up spending 40 years really socially distanced from his people, socially distanced from a lot of people. He's on his own in the the kind of like the desert and he's, you know, he's, he's, he's in a very different environment. And yet the Bible says that God knew him face to face because with Moses, um, you know, in in fact, with the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is similar to what it is with like Moses. Let me explain. The kingdom of God isn't about some complex, 
you know, strategic approach to theological messianic apostleship, which kind of means nothing. No, it is about the simplicity of the heart of man to come face to face with God. That is what the kingdom of God is about. It's not always about complex strategies and ideas and, and, and aspects of theology. It is about the heart of man, like we sang earlier, the heart of God to draw near to the heart of God. That's ultimately what the kingdom of God is all about. And that's ultimately how the church is established and how the church grows and how impact is made is when we decide, like Moses, to come face to face with God. Because before the exploits of Moses came the experience of Moses. Before he ever did the amazing exploits, like the Bible says, no one's been like Moses. But maybe nobody knew God quite like Moses. And it was his drawing near to God which enabled him to do incredible exploits. I don't believe he would have been able to go back to Pharaoh had he not known who God was face to face. And I want to encourage you today, the greatest success in any aspects of your life will be an extension. It will be a result of your drawing near to him, of your face-to-face -face desire to be with God. Sure, we might have some gifting. Sure, we might have some natural ability. Sure, we might have the personality to take us somewhere. But it is also the anointing of God. It is the favour of God on your life, the blessing of God on your life that really enables you to move forward, especially in the kingdom of God. And before the Hebrew people were moved out of Egypt, Moses was first moved. Because if there is going to be a movement from us, there first has to be a movement in us. And as a church, you know, it's easy for us to say as a church, we want to impact the city of Leeds and we want to do this and we want to see God do that and we want to believe for a great revival there. And that is a movement from us, but ultimately requires a movement in us. It requires us, like Moses, to take a step and to become face to face with God before any of the exploits can begin to follow. We live in a kingdom with a king who desires not to rule and reign through, through scary, fearful authority, but who desires to reign with loving intimacy. That is, his, who, that is who our God is. And I don't know what your view is on long distance relationships, um, but I kind of have a, um, I've got experience of a love of a long distance relationship. And before we just go into the long distance relationship, which I'll talk to you about briefly, Let's talk about love languages because they impact long distance relationships. Um, you, many of you will be aware of the love languages. There are five love languages and recently at Christmas my sister asked me which one I was and I'm kind of still not sure as to the one that I am. I feel like I'm a little bit of a mixture of the five. <laughs> that doesn't make me a connoisseur of all five. It just makes me kind of, you know, a jack of all trades but master of none. But if you don't know what the five love languages, you have, you know, words of affirmation. If that is your primary love language, just raise your hand if you are a words of affirmation kind of person. Oh, just a few of you, not many. Uh, then we have gifts. How many of you love a good gift? Nobody. Wow, there's, there's not a lot of love in this room today. Um, thirdly, we have acts of service. How many of you love that? Oh, that's a little bit more popular is the acts of service. Um, when, it, when it came to the gifts, by the way, some of the guys were looking around going, okay, <laughs> what could I buy? Acts of service, um, quality time, quality time, the cheapest one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
How many of you love a bit of quality time? Is that your one, Abs? Quality time? You're all of them as well. You're fluent in them all, okay. And then fifth and finally, we won't spend a lot of time on this one, but touch. How many of you love a bit of steady on? Okay. The problem when you are in a long distance relationship is it's often hard to engage in any of really of those five love languages other than kind of like words of affirmation, maybe gifts that can be sent over. But the other three are kind of like very hard to, hard to operate with and do. And in 2005, I spent a year at Bible College in Sydney, Australia. And prior to that, me and Abs had just started, <clears throat> started dating before I went, which wasn't great timing. And um, back in 2005, this makes us sound really old, but like the internet wasn't kind of what it is now. Now it was, it was there and it was developing, but it was like Wi-Fi was like, some had Wi-Fi, some didn't have Wi-Fi. Some were still on dial-up. <laughs> and you're like, I'm on. How many of you remember the good old dial-up days? Some of you in Wakefield, still on dial-up. Um, <laughs> wakey, we're, we're, we're Wi-Fi, what's Wi-Fi? We're on good old BT dial-up. <laughs> Be careful, yeah, don't mess with the Wakefordians. And so, I, I, you know, the internet was kind of wasn't was, but there was Skype had just emerged. The problem with Skype, if you remember, you had to buy credit for Skype. Then some of you are like, what are you on? You had to buy credit. And so for me to continue talking with abs, and there wasn't video, it was literally just talking. So I had one of those pilot headsets. <laughs> and I'd be sat in my room, and as would be sat in her room, and we were talking to each other. The problem with Australia is when I was waking up, she was going to sleep. When it was light with me, it was dark with her. It was just this opposite. And it was a challenge. And especially for me, who enjoys much more being in the present moment, much more enjoys kind of being there, witnessing something, seeing something, rather than, you know, engaging on telephone calls, you know, like opposite ends of the world. I'm, I'm, I'm not really a huge fan of long telephone calls. I prefer to be in a conversation like face to face. And so over time, I suppose distance created separation. The distance of being away from her created like a separation in our relationship. And the relationship began to strain. Not because I forgot who she was. Not because I didn't think about her. Not because I didn't value her. Not because I didn't talk to her. But this is only my opinion. I'm sure if Abs was up here, she would give a second opinion and a, well, her own version on the story. But she can't because she's broken her arm. So she needs to stay down there. <laughs> We don't want to risk her coming up the stairs. So we'll just, uh, I'll explain it on behalf of myself. <laughs> I wasn't close to her. Ultimately, I wasn't face to face with her. And I think there are some similarities often in our relationship with God because it's not necessarily about your memory of God or your thoughts about God. It, for me, it's about your closeness in your spirit to who God is. 
And that can be found in your action. It can be found in your speech. But there is this desire to be with him. I don't just want to kind of, you know, have this long distance relationship with God that becomes strained over time. And one of the challenges for many people in the next few months, you know, who who were so reliant upon gathering in a local church to really strengthen their faith. There's many who haven't been able to access that and the online has been an incredible blessing. How many of you are grateful for the online and the continuation of the worship and the word that goes forth on there? But so for so many people, I've spoken to so many who feel their relationship with God has almost become strained. Almost like there's been a long distance relationship as a result of them maybe not being able to access like services like this. And we don't need services to have a relationship with God. We don't need to attend a building to have a relationship with God. But I tell you what, it does help when you make a step, like Ed said, you take a step towards God's house and you set aside time to enter his presence and to engage in the word and you get rid of all the other distractions and you say, hey, I'm going to the house of God to worship and, and and, and to give him my very best. There is something spiritual about that. And so for some people who feel like there's been a long distance in their relationship with God, our prayer is that, you know, God hasn't forgotten about them and God hasn't left them. And I want you to encourage if you speak to those people, hey, as soon as you take one step towards him, guess what? He will take 10 steps towards you. That God does not leave us. He never forsakes us, the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus with his disciples, he chose 12 so that they might be with him, the Bible says. It doesn't say he chose 12 so that he might be able to give them jobs and duties and responsibilities and set out strategic plans. The Bible simply says he chose 12 that they might be with him, that they might do life with him, that they might do relationship with him, not discuss, not contemplate with, just be with And James, who is the brother of Jesus, he's almost saying, hey, if you can draw near to him, if you can make the first move, the ball is in your court. But if you need to make the first move, you need to take the first step. And as you take the first step, he will draw near to you. And when I ultimately ended up returning from Australia, it was amazing how our relationship rekindled as we were able to take steps closer to each other. The relationship began to build again. But there was a straining in the distance. But yet there was a beauty in the closeness. And so I want to ask you today, just this simple thought in this service, how close are we to God right now? There's no judgment and there's no scale and there's no measurement and there's no certificate. But how close are you to God right now? How close am I to God right now? And I know we could say, well, it just stays the same. You know, I've been walking with God now for 33 years and, you know, and, and that's, you know, good and incredible. But I think we have to be honest and sometimes say, like any relationship, our relationship ebbs and flows. Like any relationship you have with a parent, like any relationship you have with a sibling, relationship you have with a friendship, with an employer, relationships ebb and flow. There are times when everything is awesome and hunky-dory and there are times when you have to kind of like grind through it. It's tough. There are times when you stop talking with each other. There are times when... You kind of argue with each other at times when you're super close to each other. They are relationships in the natural. And I also believe sometimes it's the same in the spiritual. That there are disappointments that we have with people. And guess what? There are disappointments that we have with God. 
God understands your disappointments. God cares about your disappointments, but he doesn't leave you in that disappointed place. He is happy to talk with you through them and guide you and, and lead you through those places. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. You know, the kids that I have, and there's nothing better as a father that when, you know, one of the kids, you say, hey, say to one of your children, hey, hey, come here. And they make those steps towards you, not knowing why you're calling them. And you're just able to just to be with them and, and to grab them and to hold them and to have intimacy with them. That is the joy of the, and the joy and the desire of a father when the child begins to make those steps and you're able to join in with them. But often, Sometimes when I'll say to my kids, hey, come here and, you know, come and give dad a cuddle or come and give dad a hug or whatever. They kind of just look, hear what I say and ignore it. <laughs> I want to continue playing with what they're playing with. They want to continue doing what they're doing. Why? Because a hug with dad is not as important in this moment as what I'm doing. <laughs> what I'm doing is way more interesting. What I'm doing has my attention, has my focus because what is going on over there often appears more interesting than the intimacy that I can find right here the desire to play over there <laughs> becomes a stronger pull than to draw near over here and often in our Christian life we want it both ways we want to play over there and we want to draw near over here <laughs> but God's like can't have it both ways we can't have it both ways. There is a drawing near to God that means that as you draw near to him, you leave some pasts behind. You leave some mindsets, some places, you leave some behaviours behind because I can't draw near to you and take what I was playing with and bring that with me. Now God is kind and God is merciful and his mercy triumphs over judgment. But I think what we're trying to say is, 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 is you make a step over here. Sure, there might be some baggage and some stuff of the world that has kind of consumed you and you can bring that to him. But as you come to him, you won't be surprised as you get closer to him how some of that stuff begins to drop off you. <laughs> because he is a jealous God. He loves you. He created you and he wants you for who you are. He doesn't want you for what you can bring to him. He doesn't want you necessarily for your, you know, incredible gifts or incredible skills. Why? Because God has plenty of that. <laughs> he wants you for who you are. His child, his son or his daughter. See, the Bible says in the Adam and Eve in the beginning of time, they are closer to God than anybody has ever been close to God. <laughs> seriously close the first two human beings on earth they are walking around so cool that the bible says start naked closeness to god where they're just so free that the, you know the, 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 there's no need for anything else the relationship the peace the harmony with god and each other is so incredible but then something appears over there their eyes are turned to what is over there. Their bodies are turned. Their souls are turned. And we know the story. One act of disobedience in consuming what they've been told not to consume. And what does it do? It creates this separation from God. 
The act of disobedience creates the separation from God and that separation lasted for thousands of years of God's desire for closeness with humanity and God would seek to restore and re-establish that relationship and we would try to get close to him and yet we would often fail and, and, and it required a level of obedience and it required a level of sacrifice and so what God did is he loved us from afar. There was almost like this long distance relationship. The Bible calls it love from behind a veil a curtain, that because of the sin of man, man could not enter into the same place as God's glory, but for one year, once a year. And yet the Bible says that God still loved us enough, but we couldn't yet move closer to him. And so the tabernacle was there. And so once a year, the high priest would enter into the tabernacle on our behalf and, and make a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sin as they entered the most holy place of this, the physical carrying of the presence of God. And so that's what kind of people got used to and they had to wait on that until Jesus came. Until the time was right when Jesus came and he became the great high priest on our behalf. And he entered and he offered a blood sacrifice on a cross for our sins, not once a year, but once and for all. And when he died, the Bible says the curtain tore in two in the temple symbolically to say that, you know, sin that once separated the relationship and the distance between God and humanity was no longer a barrier for us to draw near to him. But instead of having to stay behind a curtain, guess what? We could now draw near. We could now come inside the curtain. Instead of drawing back, we could now draw near. And he opened up a new permanent access to God. His blood paved the way to restore God's relationship with me and with you. The long distance Skype was over. <laughs> and so now when God looks at us, God doesn't look at us through a veil. He looks at us through the blood of his son, Jesus, the love of God that ran red so that you might draw near to him. Look what it says in Hebrews 4 verse 16 in the, in the Bible. I love this verse because it just talks as a result of what Christ did. It says, let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace. The throne of God's unmerited favour to us sinners that we might receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help us in good times for every need, appropriate help and well-timed help coming just when we need it. I love that verse. What it's saying is, let us come confidently and draw near to the throne of grace because once there was a curtain which separated you, go in there. But because of Jesus, you can now enter the throne of grace and you can now receive what you need to receive, his mercy and his grace whenever you need it. Not just once a year, but whenever you need it, His grace and His mercy is available to us. But we have to do something. We have to come courageously and fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace. Because sometimes it is a shame or embarrassment or sin which prevents us from going there. And we're like, God, I, I don't want to come anymore. and I don't want to embrace anymore because of what's going on in my life. And the amount of people I've spoken to sometimes where I've said, you know, before this whole COVID season, hey, I'm not seeing you in church for a while. Are you doing okay? And they'll be like, yeah, well, some stuff has gone on in my life and I'm just not sure I should really be in church at the moment. It's almost like them saying, because of what I've done or because of how I've lived or because of the mistakes I've made, that has disqualified me from being in the house of God. 
But yet the gospel is the total opposite of that. The gospel says, because of that, you come close. (laughs) Because of what you've done, we now have a saviour. His name is Jesus Christ. So therefore, forget away the, banish some of those, you know, anxieties and fears and come boldly to the throne of grace. I found everything I need is in the boundaries of that intimacy. I don't know about you, but when I drift away from God, my life begins to drift. When I sense like I feel like I'm moving away from God, it's amazing how my life feels like it's moving away. And like the prodigal son, the Bible says, you desire often the distant country. It's only when you get there do you come to your senses and you realise not everything is as good as I thought it would be. Everything I need is in the Father's house. It's in the presence of God. I'm going home. And the Bible says, as the son decides to go home, as he draws near to him, the father isn't found reading the paper in the back garden. The father isn't found asleep in the back bedroom. No, the father is on the edge of his garden looking for his son. For the Bible says, for while he was still a long way off, the father saw him filled with compassion, ran to him, threw his arms around him and kissed him. I just sometimes love to close my eyes and just think of that image. The father kind of just looking. And as soon as he sees the son make one step towards him, the Bible says, the Jewish father, who by the way, why Jesus talks about him running was because older Jewish men didn't run. It was a sign of panic. It was a sign of being rushed. It was a sign of disorder. And so Jewish men had everything in order. They wouldn't, they wouldn't want to panic. They don't need to run. They don't need to rush. But Jesus gets rid of that and he goes, forget that, for his son is so passionate about his son that while he is still a long way off, he runs towards him. He moves towards him to embrace him. And he doesn't just give him a handshake. He throws his arms around him and he kisses him. I close with this in James 4, verse 7 to 10, the same passage of Scripture that we read at the beginning, but in the message version. I just love how it puts it. It says, so let God work His will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and He'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. (laughs) Some of you need to yell a loud no to the devil. Don't be polite with the devil. He will not be polite with you. You need to rebuke him. You need to resist him. You need to roundhouse kick him. You need to do whatever you need to do to say a no to the devil because he will do whatever he can to stop you drawing near to him. His greatest fear is that we draw near to Him, that we have intimacy with Him. So the enemy will throw anything he can your way to try and distract you from drawing near. He'll throw circumstances. He'll throw past issues. He'll throw past things that you remember. He'll he'll throw whatever, he'll throw his whole arsenal at you to prevent you from getting close to Him. That's why I love what it says in James in the message, yell aloud no to the devil, rebuke him. James then says, quit dabbling in sin. Now's not the time to be dabbling in sin. 
but purify your inner life. Quit playing the field, James says. Stop being double-minded. Are we this? Are we that? What do we, you know, no conviction. We spoke about it a few weeks ago. Your conviction is what leads you to your confidence. Get serious, it says, really serious in your approach to your destiny and decisions. We're not playing games. Our relationship with God is so serious. It's such an impact. What you're doing today, you're not just fulfilling a duty. You're not just turning up somewhere. No, this is a spiritual encounter with God. And we can still have fun and we can still have banter. We we can still be lighthearted. I believe that's important. But there needs to be a seriousness in your encountering nature with God. And fifthly, James says, get down on your knees before the Master. (laughs) It's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of humility. It's a sign to say, God, you're higher than me. That's why when people come to the Queen to be knighted, what do they do? They get down on one knee. And they get down in one knee in submission, in surrender to say, hey, Queen, Elizabeth, you are far superior than me. Please knight me. And the queen who is higher will drop the sword on your head to say you are knighted. It's for centuries a symbol. And the Bible says in James, get down on your knees before the master. It's a sign of drawing near to him. And when I returned to the UK and decided to draw near to Abs, she drew near to me. There were things that we had to do. You you do have to say a loud no to the devil. You do stop dabbling in sin. You do stop playing the field. You you do say no to other things. You you get serious in your relationship. And then ultimately it comes to a point where you get down on your knees (laughs) and you say, hey, will you marry me? Why? Because I loved her. My appetite grew. And your appetite will always grow for the things that you desire. And your appetite will cause you to move closer. Close with this. The Bible says blind Bartimaeus had an appetite to see. Start shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the Bible says he kind of, he's just there shouting and trying to move forward to Jesus, even though he can't see him. Jesus sees him and heals him and blind Bartimaeus draws near to him. Zacchaeus has an appetite to see Jesus and despite the crowds, climbs a tree to draw near and salvation comes to his house that day, the Bible says. The lady with the issue of blood has a desire to be healed and so she pushes through the crowd and gets where she can and just stretches to be near to Jesus, which was culturally bad and incorrect for an unclean woman to do that. She moves closer, stretches the hem of his garment, and he, she is healed. Peter in the boat sees Jesus. Jesus says, come to me. What does Peter do? He gets out of the boat, walks on water and comes towards Jesus. There is something about the power in your movement, the power in your drawing near. And maybe our faith is static because our relationship with God is static. But if we can move closer towards Him in that intimacy, that closeness, it is everything that you will ever need. You see, me with my kids when I'm old, it won't be about what we've achieved. It won't be about how much stuff we have. It won't be about all that we've done. It will be this simple question. 
do I know my kids? And do my kids know me? I want to draw near to them. And I want them to draw near to me. And the sign that we are followers of Christ won't be in the fact that all the things that we know and all the places that we've been and how many things we've done. The sign that we are a follower of Jesus will be found in our relationship, in our intimacy with Him. And so at the beginning of this year, as the band and the singers come on, and you can stand to your feet as we sing this song, the simplicity of this year in this seek first is simply a desire in us to say, come on, let's draw closer to Him. And you might think, I don't know how to do that. How do I do that? You be yourself and how you draw close to people is how you draw near to Jesus. You start to think and you start to value time and you start to correspond and communicate and you start to be honest and you start to trust and you start to give and you start to, you know, how you do relationships with people is you're drawing near to God. Seek first the Kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Let's put Him first. Let's have God in first place. God doesn't do second. God doesn't do third. God doesn't do fourth. In fact, the Bible says, there shall be no other gods before me. He is the first, the last, the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come. So come on, the guys are going to lead us in this song and then we're going to close this.